0: Hello and welcome to the Silver King's War. I'm Michael Severs, the writer, producer, and creator of this podcast series about my father's Second World War. Today, we continue in our review of Stanley's War. It's late June of 1944, and Stanley is learning to fly the B-26 at Barksdale Army Air Base in Shreveport, Louisiana. Barksdale Army Air Base was named in honor of 2nd Lieutenant Eugene Hoy Barksdale, born in 1895 and died in 1926. The site began operations on February 2, 1933. Lieutenant Barksdale had received his wings in Great Britain in 1918 and flew with the British during World War I. He died on August 11, 1926, over McCook Field near Dayton, Ohio, while testing a Douglas O-2 observation plane for spin characteristics. He did not recover from a flat spin, and while parachuting from the plane, his parachute was caught in the wings' brace wires, causing him to fall to his death. He was buried with full military honors in Arlington National Cemetery. Today, Barksdale Air Force Base is a United States Air Base in northwest Louisiana, in Bossier Parish. It is next door to Bossier City, Louisiana, along the base's western and northwestern edge. The field occupies over 22,000 acres just east of Bossier City and along the southern edge of Interstate 20. Over 15,000 active duty and Air Force Reserve members serve at Barksdale Air Base. The host unit acts. Barksdale is the 2nd Bomb Wing, which is the oldest bomb wing in the Air Force. The 2nd Bomb Wing participated in Brigadier General Billy Mitchell's 1921 offshore bombing test with Glenn Martin, the designer of the B-26. Together, Mitchell and Glenn Martin convinced the Army that the next war would be fought in the air. Today, the airbase is home to the Barksdale Global Power Museum, which has an extensive display of aircraft, including the B-24 Liberator, the B-17 Flying Fortress, the P-51 Mustang, and of course, the B-26. As Stanley continued his advanced training on the B-26 in August of 1944, much was happening around the country. As followers of the Silver King's War, you may recall that Laura Fermi, the wife of the physicist Enrico Fermi, wrote extensively about the family's role and work in the Second World War. In the New Yorker magazine of July thirty first, 1954, Laura Fermi wrote of the family's arrival at the former Los Alamos Ranch School for Boys that had been converted into the Manhattan Project. She wrote, When we arrived in Los Alamos in August of 1944, we found the confusion and the disorder that always accompany rapid construction. Barrack-like structures seemed to have been scattered at random around the few original school buildings. They stood at strange angles on streets without names that loafed aimlessly about the mesa. The buildings were all alike and all painted green to make them inconspicuous among the green pines and against the green background of the hills. It was the rainy season— and the downpours turned the clay soil into slippery glue that stuck to our shoes and then hardened into heavy soles. In winter, the snow, melting under the midday sun, again turned the soil into glue. Buildings under construction emerged from thick seas of mud. Construction materials and felled trees were piled along the sides of rutted roads over which bulldozers, cranes, and trucks were, rumbled as if they were the masters of the place. One strip of the mesa was fenced off with chicken wire. Behind the wire was the technical area, to which only persons with special badges could gain admittance. The main entrance to Los Alamos as a whole, the East Gate, led out into the desert and on to Española and Santa Fe. Through the west gate, open to civilians during certain hours only, you reached the mountain country, the fishing streams, the ski slopes, and the woods of blue spruce and ponderosa pine, and the aspens that turned yellow in the fall and covered the hills with gold foil. No matter by what gate you left Los Alamos or came into it, you had to show your pass to the MPs on guard. We were assigned apartment D in building T-186, one of a dozen identical two-story four-apartment houses on a street that started near the water tower at the highest part of town, sloped leisurely down toward the virgin country, and faded away into it. The apartment was small, but adequate and comfortable. In its three bedrooms were army cots, on which their previous occupants were. Boys in the armed forces had scratched their names and ranks. Sheets and blankets were stamped, used, in big black letters, which made them hardly inviting until we learned that the letters stood for the United States Engineers Detachment. Everything provided for us was stamped either used or GI, even light bulbs and floor mops. But through the three windows of our living room, I could see the round green tops of the Hamas Hills slanting down against the sky as a three-panel picture by an old master. There were no man-made marks on those hills, and I could call them mine. Enrico Fermi was a leading physicist in the work that developed the atomic weapons that ended the Second World War. And, of course, it was just months earlier In January of nineteen forty four that Stanley, our hero, had graduated from Bomber School in Carlsbad, New Mexico, a mere three hundred miles south from Los Alamos. Now thousands of miles east of Carlsbad, New Mexico, in Shreveport, Louisiana. The Silver King was about to receive his shipment orders in late August of nineteen forty four. Stanley's original paperwork for his shipment began at the very top of the page in all capital letters with the word RESTRICTED. From the Headquarters Army Air Base, Office of the Commanding Officer, Barksdale Field, Louisiana, Special Orders Number 239, on 26 August 1944, for EXTRACT. Item 1. Air Corps unassigned comprising B-26 crews are assigned and will head to W.P. Hunter Field, Georgia, by rail in time to report not later than 31 August to Combat Crew Center 3rd Air Force Staging Wing for assignment to Project 3AF-AG-60. All personnel transferred by this order will have their mail addressed as follows, pending receipt of further instructions. Combat Crew Center, 3rd Air Force Staging Wing, Hunter Field, Georgia. Personnel will not be accompanied by dependents, neither will dependents join personnel at Hunter Field, Georgia, or any other concentration point by order of Lieutenant Colonel Anderson and signed by D.F. Weigel, Captain, Adjutant General, Assistant Adjutant. Stanley's extract sheet listed eight crews, and his was crew number three, led by their pilot, Second Lieutenant Jack H. Feste, and their co-pilot, Second Lieutenant James N. Fonby, Jr. Stanley was the bombardier and second lieutenant, Stanley Lester Silverfield. The three gunners in the crew were Alfred R. Hopp, Clarence A. Luck, and Jack D. Lofton. Stanley and his guys made it to Hunterfield in Georgia during the first week of September of 1944, and after days of waiting around for things to happen, The crew got on a train and headed north for New York City. They were going to embark on the Queen Mary to ride over the Atlantic, to make their own Atlantic crossing, to reach Europe in late September of 1944. The Queen Mary sailed on her maiden voyage on May 27th of 1936. In late August of 1939, Queen Mary was on a return trip from New York to Southampton, England. And just after the ship's safe return to New York Harbor, the war in Europe began. Within months, in early 1940, the Allies decided that the Queen Mary, the Normandy, and the Queen Elizabeth would be converted to trip transports. The Queen Mary Second World War conversion included the ship's hull superstructure and funnels being painted navy gray. The new color, in combination with the ship's great speed, meant that it became known as the Gray Ghost. And to protect against magnetic mines, a degaussing coil was fitted around the outside of the hull, and inside stateroom furniture and decoration were removed and replaced with triple-tiered fixed wooden bunks, which were later replaced by standee fold-up bunks. Four and a half years later, the Silver King described his Atlantic crossing in glowing terms. He loved the ride, and of course, as an officer, he was well taken care of. Stanley and his crew arrived in England around October 1st and it took them another two weeks of mysterious travel to reach their destination at A-72 north of Paris at an airfield that had recently been occupied by the German Air Force. The Silver King spent some difficult nights on the road and was really happy and relieved to reach A-72 by October 15th. And as our hero, the Silver King, reaches his assignment and his airfield to begin his war, we have reached the end of this episode of our review of Stanley's War. And you are listening to The Silver King's War.